ladies and gentlemen, Cardinal fans of all ages, welcome to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. I'm Chris Grace. I'll be your host, joined every week by current Wesleyan Athletic Director and former head football coach, Mike Whalen. Each week, Coach and I will interview some of your favorite former Cardinals and find out exactly what they've been up to. Without further ado, it's time to check in with the coach, Mike Whalen. Okay, Coach, another podcast and another fantastic guest. And this guy we have coming up is one of our personal favorites. We got a chance to spend some time with him last fall during the football season, and he's always so gracious with his time. He's a former two-sport athlete at Wesleyan and a rising star at ESPN, Coach, as uh, we have the privilege of interviewing Field Yates this afternoon. Yeah, Field is uh, really first class all the way. We're, we're so proud of him and everything he's been able to accomplish over at ESPN, and you know, not just with the, the fantasy football, but also as an NFL insider and all the different things that he's done throughout his career. And a really amazing person, very loyal alum, you know, always reaches out to us and willing to help Coach Desenzo, Coach Reba, uh, in, in any way that he can. So really excited to uh, have Field on the show today. So before we get to Field's interview, which is coming up in just a second, you won't want to miss out. We talk about just about everything with Field. And if you're a fantasy football fan, which I'm sure a lot of you are, you don't want to miss it, miss out on, on this interview. But we want to let you know that we want this to be a community podcast. We want all of you to communicate with us and to be a part of this venture. So we would love for you to email us any questions you may have or suggestions you may have about this podcast. And uh, you can reach out to us. We're going to bring in our producer, Mike O'Brien. He's going to let you know how you can connect with us here on Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. Yeah, Chris, to so all of our fans and listeners out there, if you could email us at athletics at wesleyan.edu. Uh, you could also reach us on social media, and that would be at, on Twitter and Instagram. Both accounts are at Wes underscore athletics. So if you will have any recommendations on guest appearances or any feedback, you could definitely reach us on social and our email address and I'd love to hear from you personally. You can tweet me at ChrisGrace82. We look forward to all of your feedback, and we look forward to bringing you many more episodes as we try to create content during this difficult time here in the fall of 2020. But, Coach, enough about that. Let's get into our interview. This guy is as good as it gets. Here he is, ESPN fantasy football guru, Field Yates. Welcome to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. Along with Coach Mike Whalen, I'm Chris Grace, and we have yet another amazing guest as we welcome in another ESPN employee and former Wesleyan Cardinal, Field Yates, is kind enough to join us. You may know Field from all of his fantasy spots on ESPN. He's as talented of an analyst as they have over there at the Mothership. And Field, we've got so much to talk to you about here in the football season, but first and foremost, welcome to our little show. Well, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me on, and I want to take one part of that opening to task. This is not a little show. This may be a show that is a different size now than it will be at one point when it's atop the podcast rankings and uh, in must-listen content, but we're going to turn this small show into something much bigger than just a small show. <laughs> You're the man. You're the best, field. That's why we brought you out here, buddy. Bump us up. Bump us up. I appreciate I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always great to talk to you. So much pride in Wesleyan, and uh, I think that that pride was eminent. Uh, you know, has been a big part of my fabric since I graduated back in two thousand and nine. But uh, there are many people who 
graduate from college and have little affiliation with their university. And I feel very, very honored that uh, that is not the case for me and so many of my close friends, many of which were my teammates during my time in Middletown. So, Field, you, you kind of uh, took the words right out of my mouth. You know, all of our all of our of our first four guests, you are the youngest of all of our guests, you know, and they've all done some great things. But you've done it in a very, very short window. Explain to all of our guests. Um, first and foremost, we like to ask what your time was like at Wesley and um, how it kind of helped mold you, but how it really shifted and directed you into where you are right now, uh, working at ESPN and, and covering the National Football League. Yeah, so I would say my time back at Wesley, I reflect upon as the best four years of my life. And I remember on the precipice of college, uh, during my final year in high school, really even the application process that started even before my senior year of high school, I remember people mentioning to me, oh, you're getting ready for college. And I'll never forget, actually, at my time interning and spending my summers working with the Patriots, uh, the great Dante Scarnecchia, who I'm sure both of you are very aware of by many people's accounts and certainly mine, the best offensive line coach the league has ever seen. And I remember him telling me, Field, I don't know where you're going to go to school. I don't know where this process is going to take you to, but I just want you to know it's going to be the best four years of your life, and I want you to enjoy it no matter how it all unfolds. And I remember thinking to myself, it's incredibly kind of him to say that to me, a 16, 17-year-old, but it also is one of those where, is college really that great? And maybe the case is that not everybody is four years of college or maybe five or six years of college or the best of their life. But in my experience, it was the best four years of my life because of the opportunities I had to uh, spend so much time with quality people. Ultimately, it's about the people. But I felt very fortunate to be a part of two of the athletics programs, football, lacrosse. And I learned a lot uh, from my experience on the athletic field and felt like I grew not just as, a, as an athlete, but more importantly as, as an individual and as a man. Uh, and it's helped shape my life now as I uh, work professionally into my eighth year at ESPN and very grateful for the opportunity. I think the roots of that were laid during my time at Wesley. Ophiel, um, you mentioned, you know, being a two-sport athlete, you know, football and, and lacrosse. Um, I think, uh, you know, people don't understand, you know, when you were here, uh, you you got after it pretty good in the weight room. Coach Raba tells me you were you were five eleven, two hundred pounds when you were when you were at West and uh, had some really really successful lacrosse teams uh, throughout your tenure here. Uh, two thousand six team sixteen and four, two thousand seven team eighteen and three, uh, final four team in the NCAA. Two thousand eight ten and five, another trip back to the final four, and then two thousand nine fifteen and four. And NESCAC championship. So uh, some really outstanding lacrosse teams that you played on during your tenure here. Talk to us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, and I'll be the first to tell you, by the way, uh, and I'm not trying to be self-deprecating. This is not me trying to be modest, but my role on that team was not substantial. Another team, I was a grinder. I was a player that really enjoyed being a part of the program, but you're not going to find any uh, records, uh, if you go back and uh, look through the archives, it includes the old Yates. Um, but I really enjoyed being a part of the program. And there were times where, and this is just human nature, when you're you know, playing on a sports team. And, uh, you know, in high school, I had a you know, pretty successful tenure during my time at Belmont Hill. And I was kind of used to playing a lot, being really involved, being a big part of the, uh, you know, the operation on the field. And what I would say is that there's a dose of humility when you get to college and the athletes are better and your role may not be what it was in high school. But what I would say is that 
Um, there was so much growth, uh, I mentioned that earlier, during my time at Wesley, and a lot of that comes back to the sports field. So uh, in football, I had a, a really good experience for two years being a part of the program. We weren't quite as successful uh, as the lacrosse teams, but at the lacrosse team, Mike, uh, you know, that program yielded uh, five of my groomsmen at my wedding, uh, my best friends, uh, guys that I talk to daily, Guys that uh, even during this quarantine, even though we have we have not been able to see each other, we have connected frequently over Zoom, and you know we have an epic thread, text thread that's been going on 15 years now. And uh, beyond that, we play in fantasy football leagues together. But what I think I when I reflect back on my lacrosse experience there, you know I think it was cool to see uh, how a program was really on the rise the year before I got to Wesleyan. Uh, the lacrosse team had a surprise run to the quarterfinals in the NCAA tournament. Uh, we had some unbelievable players that I had the opportunity to play with, and it was great to sort of be a part of that rise together because, as you mentioned, we went from uh, you know a surprise quarterfinalist to you know the expectations going into my senior year were to play for a national championship, uh, potentially. We ended up as the NESCAC champions, which – at the time, that was the first time the lacrosse program had won the NASCAC championship. And uh, the guys that followed us in the subsequent years have taken the program to even different heights. But um, some of the things that may at the time have felt like uh, the parts of being on a team that you didn't enjoy, I now yearn for. I think about the long road trips you would take on a Friday afternoon, getting a bus, sit there for six hours, going to the middle of Maine play Colby on Saturday you think to yourself six hours on a bus you arrive late you know you're eating pizza at nine o'clock for dinner you're getting up the next day you're playing a lacrosse game and you get back six hours later after hopefully a victory and at the time it was like oh man you know six hours on a bus now I think about the environment the camaraderie the brotherhood all of those things that were cultivated under coach Rava's guidance uh during our time uh at Wesleyan and um, those are uh, experiences that you may not realize at the time, but taught me a lot about being a great teammate. It taught me, I think, uh, about perspective. I would say that, uh, you know, there are some humbling moments, but those humbling moments are important because they can fuel you. And uh, while I don't spend all day, every day covering lacrosse or thinking about lacrosse, I would say that I 100% attribute a lot of what I do now to lessons that I learned on the football field as well, but also during my time with the lacrosse program. And, uh, and feel obviously, you know, in, in 2018, uh, you know, Coach Rave and the team out, you know, broke through and, and we were able to get that first national championship up at Gillette. And, um, you know, I know you, 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 as many other alums came out and supported the team and, you know, just, just, you know, talk a little bit about, about what that meant, you know, that milestone meant for, for Wesleyan and certainly for you as a proud alum. Yeah, it, it really meant, uh, quite a, quite a bit. It's funny because, you know, I, didn't matter one way or the other. Like I was getting a trophy one way or the other, no matter what the result of that season was. And I just would say that uh, it, it's such a proud moment. Um, but what was really cool to think about Mike and Chris is that there are players that grinded for four years to get to that point. And ultimately the seniors in that, on that roster, and really all, all the, the players on that roster, you know, if they won that game, it, it, or if they lost that game, I should say, it wasn't going to define them. It wasn't going to change the way people that care about them most felt about them. Right? Ultimately, these are young men who stand for 
so much, not just, you know, the ability to successfully play lacrosse. But that's, you know, it's, but ultimately for these players, it was validation. Um, when you go and choose to play a Division three sport, the reality is that you're doing so not because you have dreams and hopes and cares of, you know, one day playing professional sports. Almost, you know, 100% of the time, what it means is that you are focused in on the opportunity and the chance to do something you love. And I always think back about the sacrifice that those student athletes made. I think about the sacrifice that parents make, right? And to think that probably almost every player on that team spent much of his childhood being driven around or going to camps, going to games. And that was the part that was really gratifying for me is to know that there are all these incredible players uh, and they earned it. And I, I know they won it, but they earned it. And, you know, I, I have a ton of pride. I've always had an abundance of pride for my alma mater. Um, and again, I didn't take a single rep in practice that year for that team, but my chest was puffing out a little bit, you know, a little bit more broad after that national championship and uh, being someone that still lives in New England, there are a ton of NESCAC alums. And uh, I would say it was nice to sort of feel like I was at the mountaintop and uh, talk a little bit of smack to all those other NESCAC alums out there, especially the ones uh, that, that were trying to chirp us a little bit. Uh, it was great to see them reach those incredible heights. And as I mentioned, I was not on the roster, but part of me felt like I was a, a small uh, it almost felt like I was riding the bench for them. That's how much excitement it brought me uh, watching them win that national championship that day. That is Field Yates, ESPN NFL fantasy guru. He is joining myself and Coach Weather. This is Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score, Wesleyan University Athletics Podcast. As Field pointed out, it's a podcast that is on the rise. It has really been remarkable, this series of guests we've had lining, uh, we've lined up this year at Field. When Coach told me we were having you on, I was super pumped, obviously, because you're, you're a great dude, and I enjoyed talking with you at the Tufts football game last year. But, you know, to get a, a, a little bit of time from you during the football season is really as, as good as it gets. As, as the NFL has shifted into this crazy, every single human being plays fantasy football mode, I remember when I was in college, me and my buddies, you know, 20 years ago, we were the only guys that played fantasy football. Now, you know, the secretary at the office plays fantasy football. The little brother plays fantasy football. The person who, who's driving the cab plays fantasy football. What's it been like to kind of be at the epicenter at ESPN during this immense fantasy boom that has experienced since you started working in Bristol? It's been amazing. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the fantasy football community at ESPN. I think the way you phrase that question is really, really unique and important because all right, so at its core, fantasy football is about setting a lineup each week and trying to outscore your opponent in a fictional game that you have no control over, right? That's sort of what you're doing. If someone were to ask me, what is fantasy football? That's what I would tell them. But that's not really what it is to me. And the word that I always use to best describe fantasy football is its community. And I play in nine leagues this year, and it actually is down from where I've been in previous years, believe it or not. But... When I think about the nine leagues that I play in, I've got a league that I play in with my best friends from West. I've got a league that I play in from with my best friends from work. Actually, multiple leagues that I play in with my best friends from work. I have got a league that I play in along with my wife and nine other couples. I've got leagues that I play in with people I haven't talked to in weeks or months or years. But for 17 weeks during the fall, fantasy football brings us together. 
And I always talk about during the offseason how one of the best parts about free agency and about the draft is that you have the opportunity to sell hope. You know, every team is zero and zero going into the season, even if we think they might not have a chance to make a deep run. You still have the possibility, even if it's just a small glimmer of hope. In fantasy football, you've got weekly hope. Because no matter how your team has started, no matter how your team looks on paper, what's the projections from ESPN as we build each week tell you, you've got a chance. And on Sunday, or even more sometimes, you know, even more highlighted is, you know, Thursday night, we are having this conversation a couple of days before the Jaguars and the Dolphins play. I don't think either one of those teams has a ton of household names on their roster. They've got some good players, no question about it. Gardner Minshew is so fun. But you're going to have people that are going to watch that game on Thursday night, specifically because they've got Devontae Parker, the Dolphins wide receiver on their roster, or James Robinson, the Jaguars' new running back on their roster. So it's so cool to see how fantasy football essentially creates a vested interest for people who would have otherwise not been interested in a game or not as interested in a game. So, Field, obviously with with – nine different fantasy football teams. That means you love and hate basically every single player in the national football league at different times. But I was just wondering, (laughs) I I was just wondering uh, from a curiosity standpoint, everyone who's played fantasy sports um, has experienced, you know, the ridiculous beat, whether it's, you know, the, the garbage dump down pass that, that, that gains 2.7, you know, points on the last play of the game or, or, you know, a team is, a team is trying to, uh, is a team is trying to lateral the ball down the field and, and maybe your running back is the last guy and he fumbles the football. If possible, can you tell me the single craziest uh, game-changing fantasy moment that you've experienced that had the most impact in any league that you've been a part of personally, that you vividly remember? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say one that always comes to mind for me is it was, I believe, 2016 – because Des Bryant was in the league and Ezekiel Elliott was on the Cowboys. He was drafted fourth overall in 2016. So I believe it was 2016. might have been a year later, 2017. And I was in the finals in a league of made up of family. And my now brother-in-law, but at the time, uh, he was just he was dating. Uh, so he, he, had, he had not been married into the family. Um, we uh, were facing off against each other in the finals. And this was a six-point passing touchdown lead. So there's a quarterback premium in many ways. Um, I was down 50 points going into the uh, the final, the Monday night game, that Monday night, and the Cowboys were playing the Lions. And as it turned out, Ezekiel Elliott and um, also Des Bryant were my two players left. They were very good at this time. This is when Dez was still a playmaking wide receiver for the Cowboys. And the two of them combined for 50.2 points. Like, I was down by 50.1, and they combined for, like, 50.2. I mean, it was the narrowest of margins. And the beauty of it was that Dez Bryant, in the closing moments of the game, threw a touchdown pass. It was Dez throwing a touchdown pass. That was what pushed me over the top into victory to win my finals. Or so I thought. 
as it turned out, every week the NFL issues stat corrections, which run Wednesday night into Thursday. So for the purposes of fantasy football, even though your game is decided by the end of Monday night football each week, stat corrections can alter the score and potentially alter the outcome. This was back when Derek Carr, and he played great in week two for the Raiders, but back during one of his best seasons was still a fantasy football rock star. He had, and he was the starter that I was facing him, he had a certain number of passing yards. It was not a huge number. It was like a 12-yard play that had been initially ruled a lateral that instead was turned into a forward pass. As a result of that, the opponent that I was facing my now brother-in-law took the win, ended up beating me like by .04 points. This was a decimal scoring lead. Well, the best part was, you know, I checked it and I happened to see it and I was like, this stinks, this is terrible. And this is a league we're playing for pride. Well, when we were together the following Easter, not that we hadn't seen each other since then, but that was the first time the Fantasy Football League came up. And I told him, I'm still so mad about losing to you on a stupid stat correction in the finals after I had the best comeback of my life. And he said, what are you talking about? He had no idea. He had no <laughs> idea whatsoever that he had won the championship. He had no idea whatsoever that he had taken me down because of a Derek Carr stat correction. He thought that he had just suffered, you know, just a devastating, crushing defeat in the finals. So uh, we, it was the most inglorious championship for him because it's like, you know, six months later, four months later, who really cares, right? But it was uh, one of those fantasy football stories that you'll never forget being on the wrong side of it. That's, that's a great story. That is a great story. That's going to be told at a lot of Thanksgiving dinners for a long time, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. No uh, doubt about it. We're going to uh, have some fun with that one. I, I had to get some revenge on it the following year. So, so Phil, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, obviously, you know, anybody that watches, you know, anything, Thing to do with the ESPN football, you know, sees you on TV, and you know, all of our student athletes, you know, at Wesleyan know who you are and follow you and all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's to, to see where you are now and what you're doing now. I think so many people would appreciate the, 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 the what you had to do and how hard you worked and how hard you grinded to get to where you are. You know, and I think that's the piece that, you know, a lot of people that want to do what you're doing are sometimes not willing to commit and really grind it the way you need to grind it. And I, you know, I can remember back when you were writing for ESPN.com and, you know, you know, some of those things covering the Pats and, and those kinds of things. Just just tell tell our viewers a little bit about kind of, you know, the, the the less than glorious days, you know, the, 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 the times that yeah. you, know, you, you had to grind. Yeah, and, and, and to me, you know, this is not I, – when I people ask me now, hey, what do you, you – know, what can I do to get in on the ground floor at ESPN or just get in the ground floor in sports media? My first piece of advice to them is to remember, you know something? It's not a singular blueprint. I can't tell you what I did and say mimic those steps and guarantee you that it's going to work out in your favor. It's such a different – uh, exposure for each person. But, um, Mike, you were right. So I, after I left the world of scouting, which was my initial job after college working for the Chiefs, I thought that I kind of had a plan for life, and then I thought wrong. Um, I started to miss football about six months after I left football, so I decided, you know what? 
let me start up a blog. Someone just said, you might as well just start a blog. This was when blogs were starting to become a little bit more in vogue. And I figure, you know something? Let me empty my, my notebook, or at least my thoughts, somewhere each week. And so I started the blog. I pounded the pavement with that. I started writing for like five different websites for free. And um, I was able to get a little bit of paid work where I was working, what would be sort of the equivalent of a virtual news desk. And I've gone back and like checked the archives. Like I've worked, you know, I was working on websites where I was covering like scoring updates. Like I, I was looking through some old uh, work recently, and it was like a Denver Nuggets, Brooklyn Nets halftime score update that I was writing for websites. So a lot of it was reps for me, right? It was I need to get better at doing the stuff that I want to one day do, and hope that this helps me lead to a big break. I was very fortunate to, during the 2012 NFL draft, have the opportunity to go and spend a couple of moments, or a couple of nights, I should say, shadowing a guy named Mike Reese, who I am uh, beyond grateful to call one of my best friends now today. And he is as good of a reporter as you'll find covering a team in any sport, anywhere. And he covers the Patriots for ESPN. He allowed me to come and sort of observe and actually chime in with him a little bit and help him out those nights. And I will spare people the longest form of the story, but essentially going to the draft that night led to me having the opportunity to go to OTAs and training camp, and ESPN allowed me to keep on taking more and more responsibility each year, really even each month. And I think the lessons that I learned along the way that I think are applicable, not just to those that want to be a part of sports media, but also those that want to, um, you know, just want to just in life, anything, no matter what your profession is, is, A, is the power of yes. Be willing. If you're willing to do something, you you have a chance. Uh, be determined and, and, and be undeterred as well. You know, if, I, if someone says, like, I want to go into sports media, like, I, I, the numbers may say that, um, like, hey, whatever, of the 100 people that try it, X actually make it and the rest do not. Well, if that's your mindset, you're never going to make it because if you're already sort of banking on statistics that don't work in your favor, you've just got no chance. So I always tell people, be determined. The power of yes. Um, and also that if you want something bad enough, you should be able to sacrifice for it. And uh, that's something that I think athletes know because of how much of a commitment it is to be a student athlete at Wesleyan or anywhere else in, in, in their previous athletic career. And it's the same thing in my professional world because eventually what you're going to find out is that it beats having a job. It does not feel like work for me anymore. You know, I get the opportunity to watch football and talk about it on television. That's kind of the essence of what I do for a living. And it's hard for me to ever complain given that those are two things that I love to do. I love to watch football. I love to talk about it. So um, the lessons I thought that were important to impart, no matter what it is that you're trying to do, is that be passionate be determined, make sacrifices, and wait until everybody tells you no before you uh, give up whatever dream you have. And even in that case, you may not want to give it up. You may still want to keep going because it is a special, special opportunity when you can both do something you love and do it professionally. That's that's great advice from our guest, Field Yates, class of 2009, former Wesleyan football and lacrosse player current ESPN NFL uh, fantasy football guru. You can follow him on Twitter at Field Yates. And, and the reason I, I dropped that Twitter knowledge field is because I want to know what it's like for you during an NFL Sunday 
like a Sunday that we just recently had where, you know, basically the biggest stars in all of fantasy football go down within an hour. What was your Twitter situation like on this past Sunday? Obviously, when when this interview airs, it'll be a few Sundays ago, but I'm referring to the injuries to Barkley and McCaffrey happening in in a matter of moments where where most leagues lose their first and second pick in, in about 20 minutes of real time. Yeah, I tell you what, I um, I had sort of told myself recently that I wanted to adjust my game day tweeting protocol. Once the games began, my goal was to just watch and just take it all in. I didn't need to sit there. I don't want to do play-by-play because people are watching the game. I want to share very, very important news or really unique perspective or a notable stat. But that's about it. And this past Sunday from when we were taping this interview, was, I mean, it was as difficult of a, I mean, it really was as bad of a Sunday for injuries we've seen in a long, long time. And as a result of that, I spent my whole afternoon on Twitter because every time I turned, there was a new player being injured. There was a new update on that injury, a guy going from, you know, leaving the field. Hey, you see a guy get carted off the field or you see a guy pounding the grass because he's in clear pain. And then the next step is so-and-so has, you know, X team has informed us that this player is uh, dealing with a hamstring injury. And then the next update is, all right, that player is questionable to return. The next update is that player will not return. And the fallout leads to more content. And you don't want to see it ever, but you don't really have a choice, right? You don't have a choice when you have all of these injuries like we saw this past Sunday that have a massive impact on not just the world of football, but the world of fantasy football. It was terrible. Um, not something anybody wants to see. At the same time, you know, these athletes know that football is a very, it can be a very dangerous sport, big physical game. And uh, this was just bad luck this past Sunday. Bad, bad luck. So, Field, you talked earlier about fantasy football being this great kind of uh, communal aspect that really brings people together. Well, I, I noticed kind of a trend, though, where a lot of people kind of uh, are shifting away from really caring about the results of what would have been their favorite team and kind of veering in that lane of I care about my fantasy team first and my my football team second. Are you able to watch a football game and root for a particular team? And I won't put you on the spot and tell you to tell everyone who that team may or may not be, but can you watch football and remove the fantasy element at any point away from it, or are you just in way too deep at this point? Yeah, I would say the answer is that and so I can watch any game and remove the fantasy element of it, or vice versa, right? I can watch a game and only have interest in the fantasy football side of it. But I will say that you know part of the trade-off of what we are doing now is, like, I don't want to say that fans are obligated to root for a team. I also don't want to say that they should prioritize their fantasy team over their favorite team, um, if that makes sense. Because I think the reality is that the NFL is really focused on its growth. And it would be naive to think that there are people who are recent fans of football for reasons other than fantasy. I mean, you've got people that I don't feel like would be following it as closely if not for fantasy. So if the result is that there are people that abandon their uh, – or prioritize, I should say, their fantasy team over their favorite team, I think in a perfect world, it's, you're, you're both, right? You're passionate about your fantasy team, but you also care about your own team no matter what, and that's what matters to you as much as anything on Sundays. Um, but I think we also have to realize that 
you know, there are a uh, there is a huge uh, natural instinct to want to see your fantasy team do really well, and if your real life team is struggling, it might be easier emotionally to sort of just latch on to the fantasy team. So I think ultimately fantasy football has had a, a clear and obvious advantage in terms of, um, or I should say, clear and obvious. Uh, impact on growing the viewership of the NFL, and that to me is a very good thing. Field, you 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 talked a little bit about earlier, you know, your relationship with Mike Reese, and you know, having the opportunity to you know to cover some Pat stuff, and and uh, you know, really kind of get some inside looks at the Patriots, and you know, obviously Coach Belichick is you know is you know one of our one of our top alums of all time, and you know, I've had the good fortune when I. When I came back to to, to Wesleyan, uh, you know, was one of the first people to call me and you know reach out to me and say, hey, if there's anything I can do. So we both know how incredible he is that way, you know, as a person. But um, I guess the question I have is, you know, you've, you've had the chance to look into all of these different NFL programs throughout the year. Like, what are some things that you think, you know, I mean, without giving away secrets, but like, what are some things that really stand out about, you know, kind of that you know, Belichick and, 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 and what he's been able to do and, 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 you know, some of the things that, you know, kind of maybe just set him apart or set the, set the Patriots apart from some of the other teams in the league. You know something, Mike, I think actually I'm glad that it's us having this conversation on this podcast, the three of us, because you guys know this, when you're calling the game on Saturday, you know, they're obviously, I mean, they're, uh, Coach Dice has done such a great job of adding so many talented student-athletes to the program. But there are players that have a bigger role than others, and there are players that might have no role at all on Saturday. But they are spending as much time and effort preparing for the game as anybody else on the roster. At the end of the day, on Saturday, uh, after Wesleyan faces off against Officer Williams or Amherst or whoever it is, you know that that result they don't make more money. They don't, you know, they're not eligible for a contract extension. It doesn't impact livelihood if you know, the, the game goes in their favor or not. It just, you know, you just, you, you get up on Sunday and you start preparing for the next opponent. You do it for the love of the game. And I, football, football is definitely a business. Don't make any, you know, the NFL is a massive business, a huge business. But in spending time around the Patriots program, what always stood out to me was the focus on doing whatever it took to win and understanding that while there are individuals who are, um, more directly, um, I would say, responsible for the outcome of a game in a given week than others. But to be honest, you know, quarterback is an invaluable position, the head coach, you know, you got the middle linebacker calling your defenses. It doesn't mean that the others shouldn't make as much of an investment in the opportunity to win. And, you know, Bill is as selfless as there is. Uh, the next time Bill uh, cares about the spotlight or about his own personal accolades will be the first. Um, Bill is more focused on the team than anybody I've been around. I think there is immense leadership to be learned from Bill and from the Patriots program in general that I hope people uh, in other industries appreciate immensely. And Bill is an incredible ambassador for Wesleyan as a university. He is everything that I think a Wesleyan Cardinal uh, embodies. And, um, you know, as a, as a sports aficionado, geek, nerd, enthusiast, you name it, I, like, I just love 
watching. I love analyzing. I appreciate and respect the opportunity to see the Patriots consistently approach things the way that I think an NFL team and a lot of other professional sports teams should. They are the epitome of doing things the right way in so many ways. I gave you I gave you this quick this quick story because I I, I want to hear you talk more than me talk. But um, so like four years ago, four or five years ago, I can't remember exactly when it was. I uh, went up for the the last game of the year, Jaguars game. Really didn't mean much, you know. That you know, Patriots won, shut them out, you know, uh, and had the had the the, uh, the opportunity to uh, to go down to coach's office after. And I was with a good buddy of mine, Mike Kelleher, who's at that at the time was the defensive coordinator at Brown. And uh, we're sitting there in coach's office, and coach comes in, and you know, we're just kind of talking, chit chatting. And actually, there was another alum there. Uh, with us, uh, former uh, Wesleyan great Jim Aiken, who was a uh, classmate of coaches, and um, yep. uh, Jim was a fantastic uh, two-sport football uh, and uh, basketball player. And uh, so we're just kind of sitting around BSing, and you know, he he doesn't really know Mike other than he knows Mike Kelleher coaches at Brown, and and so we're just talking, and just kind of randomly, he just looks at Mike Kelleher and goes, "Hey, Mike, let me ask you about a couple of guys in the Ivy League," and he just starts rattling off two or three names of good good Ivy League football players, one from Princeton, one from Harvard, an old lineman from Harvard, you know, a D lineman from Princeton. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, how the heck does he know who these people are? Like, like, why would Bill Belichick even have to, you know, why would he even know? And, and, and it, he knows because he knows so much more than everybody else. It's incredible. Like, that just stood out to me, Field, as – as something that just man here here is someone that is so passionate that is so committed to what they do like it, 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 it was just it was amazing to me yeah I think one of the great it's, it's so true such a great story that that sort of embodies everything about Bill and his level of preparedness and his determination to uh, being ready for every single Sunday one thing I will say um, one line that I always think is important is that like I think a good leadership strategy is if you can tell people, um, hey, like I'm not going to ask anything of you that I'm not willing to do myself, and if you mean it, then that like that's a pretty good starting point there, right? And so when Bill Belichick is asking certain things out of his players or his coaches or his scouts, he's willing to do it too. The light switch flips off usually last in Bill's office during the week, right? Football is different than some industries. You know, there are CEOs of, of huge companies that work unbelievably hard. But in some industries, the way it works is the trajectory is you work incredibly hard for a sustained period of time, and eventually it levels off, and you have hired enough people to just, just sort of just take over what you do day to day and allow them to be sort of the focal point of the company. In football, you get to the head coaching role, and then you know you do. You keep on grinding it out as much as you did as when you were the quality control coach. And that's what I respect about Bill, amongst the many things, is his determination and his willingness to put in the time and the effort. So, Field, we ask everybody this question, but uh, a lot of people talk about what the value may or may not be with a liberal arts education. But uh, obviously, it's worked out pretty well for you. Can you speak on your own personal experience, what you think you got out of uh, a degree from a liberal arts school? 
Yeah, I think that my eyes were open in some really, really unique ways. And, you know, I went to Wesleyan without a clear, um, sort of decisive plan of what I was going to major in. I thought economics. I, I started taking a couple of courses, and I wasn't quite as passionate about economics as I thought I was going to be. I ended up taking a social psychology class, and it was at the time, and I think still really today, is regarded as one of Wesleyan's best offerings. And it taught me uh, so much. And I thought to myself, maybe psychology could be what I am interested in doing um, in terms of my studies and my major. So I became a psych major. But I thought that what the liberal arts education educational experience offered me was I got exposure to a lot of things that I hadn't yet had exposure to. And it also allowed me to eventually forge my own path. And, you know, why psychology ended up being so pertinent for me is that psychology, I mean, the, the specific definition is definitely not what I'm about to say, but, you know, I thought it, it, what psychology has allowed me to do is basically understand people at a much higher and better level, right? I mean, I feel as though I have a better ability to understand and ascertain what someone is thinking from cues that I'm not sure I would have uh, had the ability to that if I if I did not study uh, psychology for my four years at Wesleyan. So uh, immensely grateful for the liberal arts educational experience. Uh, love my time at Wesleyan. Love the people that I met. Love the sports I was able to be a part of. Love the memories that I made. And I love the you know the connection that I still have. I think it's great that uh, so many people are continuing to make Middletown, Connecticut, a big part of their life. Uh, in some way, shape, or form, and Wesleyan is a place that uh, I'll always wear with a ton of pride. Uh, I will always forever be a Cardinal, and that is something cool to be able to say. All right, that, that's great. Uh, so, Field, we're going to let you out of here, but first you have to do our 60-second gauntlet. Okay, we're going to ask I'm you... I'm ready. We're going to ask you 10 questions, and uh, we just want you to, to rapid-fire, give us the first thing that pops into your head, and uh, and we'll start easy. We'll start easy, and they get a little they get a little harder going along here. So, uh, Michael Bryan, you ready to start the clock? Here we go. That go. Favorite professor at Wesleyan? Uh, Steve Stemler. What was the most influ? Who was the most influential person in your life? Uh, my parents. What was your first job after graduating from West? Uh, scouting with the Kansas City Chiefs. If you absolutely had to cheer for one of these two, who would it be, Amherst or Williams? I'm sorry, my my uh, my uh, my Zoom went out for a second. I, I <laughs> good answer, good answer. When you were five years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? A football coach. What's the best piece of advice you have received in your life? Uh, never, ever, ever give up. In three words, describe your Wes experience. Best four years. What do you miss most about Wesleyan? Uh, living with my best friends every single day. That part was so special to me. And competing with them as well. What's the best Wesleyan highlight from the last 20 years? Uh, I'm so proud of the guys that won the 2018 Lacrosse National Championship. They deserve uh, everything that came their way that season. Finally, you've made it all the way to the end here. Who is the West alum, other than Coach Whalen, that you would most like to have dinner with? I would love to spend an hour picking the brain of Lin-Manuel Miranda, 
I don't know how his brain works like it does, and I know that's probably an obvious answer, but he's a brilliant is probably the greatest understatement you could ever say about Lin Manuel. So I would love the opportunity. I don't even need an hour. I need ten minutes. <laughs> you made it, Field. You survived the gauntlet. Great job. Well done. And uh, we know you got to run to a to a uh, programming meeting. So again, we can't thank you enough for uh, spending time uh, with us today. Uh, Chris, take it away. Once again, Field, we we really do appreciate. We know this is as busy of a time as it could possibly be, and we thank you for joining us on our podcast as it continues to grow week by week. But for our special guest, Field Yates, follow him on Twitter at Field Yates. For the coach, Mike Whalen. For producer, Mike O'Brien. I'm Chris Grace. This is Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score, your official Wesleyan University Athletics podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody.